Hello, and welcome to Research Software Engineering Stories. This episode of RSE Stories is brought to you from the UK and Europe, in collaboration with the Society of Research Software Engineering in the UK. My name is Peter Schmidt, I'm a Research Software Engineer at the University College of London, and I will be your host for this episode. For today's episode, our journey takes us to Belgium, to meet with James Collier and Alex Botsky from the Flemish Institute for Biotechnology. Both James and Alex have been working hard to build an RSE community in Belgium, and indeed the RSE Association for Belgium has only recently been created. Hello James and Alex, and welcome to RSE Stories. It would be great if you could introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background. Why don't we start with you, James? It's lovely to be here, Peter. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, my background is a little bit complicated. I, you might hear from my accent that I started in Australia. I'm from uh, Melbourne, you could say. I'm not really from Melbourne, but it's, it's, I've lived there most of my life, so we'll say I'm from Melbourne in uh, Victoria. Uh, I did my PhD at Monash University in the computer science department. Uh, that's where I met my girlfriend, who uh, is Dutch. About four years ago, now we moved to the Netherlands, where I was I was looking for positions in computer science departments here. Uh, eventually ended up working in industry as a software developer. And about a year ago now, maybe a year and a half ago now, I, I started to really miss working on science. So uh, I started looking again for jobs where I could mix science with working on software. And that's where I stumbled into the Flemish Institute of Biotechnology. And about a year ago now, I joined there. I'm now working remotely. I'm living in the Netherlands still. So that's, that's my short history. What, what was your science project at the time when you did science in, in Australia? I was, I was working on a bioinformatics problem, the structural alignment of proteins. I was working on the statistical and mathematical underpinnings of that using a what you might call a machine learning framework called minimum message length inference. I was trying to use compression and information theory to discover the relationships between protein structures. What about you, Alexander? What's your background? Yeah, it's quite funny in the sense, uh, and thank you also for, for having me, uh, that my uh, work in the PhD, a time when, when I was working in, in, in Germany or living in Germany, so I'm from Bavaria originally, is also on something related to James's uh, topic, but I was not doing the hard stuff, as I would say, James, but I was uh, at that time already uh, application scientists for molecular modeling, uh, small molecules binding to proteins. So the classical uh, pharma, pharma approach, so to say. So that was my start at the University of Regensburg. And I uh, get there the, the PhD doing computational work. So I'm, so to say, a computational biologist. Uh, given that I wanted to work further in that area, I looked hard for jobs uh, after the PhD and, and passed some, some interviews in Germany. But at the end, I, I ended uh, up, so to say, in Belgium at a company in, in Ghent, where we did also similar research on proteins and finding uh, molecules uh, which would hopefully uh, inhibit or steer the function of the, the proteins. Unfortunately, uh, 2008, there was the crisis, financial one at that time. 
Nowadays, we have a different one, of course. So this was one reason that unfortunately the company had difficulties and I had to switch to another one, which was close by. So it's a nice area where a lot of small companies are there. Unfortunately, again, the crisis hit hard on this company. So I only stayed there for a year working on uh, antigenicity predictions. Then I joined also VIB. Since then, I have been busy with uh, informatics solutions. So I'm not writing them, but I'm applying them. And uh, the more I was working at VIB, the more I moved into uh, the bioinformatics uh, track. And now I'm the VIB bioinformatics core facility, uh, the group leader. And of course, there you have to also work on science uh, software, but not like James. So I'm more the, the, the scripter, if you want to say, for when you need it. And sometimes also when we have good frameworks or good templates worked out by James or Thomas, our other colleague, um, I can also reuse them. I'm not the real hard coder, but uh, I learned a lot going on in the whole science software area. Alexander, that's very interesting because we're almost neighbours because I grew up in Bavaria as well, in Nuremberg instead of Regensburg. And, <laughs> <laughs> and my first university was the uh, Friedrich Alexander Universität in Erlangen. That's really close by, 100 kilometers. <laughs> it's a very small world. But I think it's interesting that you both actually uh, settled in Belgium um, at the Flemish Institute for Biotechnology from quite different backgrounds. But I wonder if you could, uh, one or both of you, give us an example and describe a project you are currently involved with. Alex can give you an overview of more of the projects that we're involved in, but I suppose I can talk about ones that I'm specifically involved in. And mm -hmm. I suppose the one you, you and your listeners are probably most interested in involves uh, Belgian beer. There's a, a research group in uh, the Catholic University of Leuven who are trying to optimize the taste of beer, and they have a machine learning model that does that. We've been involved in working on the, the website for using this model called Beer Room. That sounds quite interesting, and Belgium, of course, is famous for its beers, amongst many other it things. Is. So what does that actually involve? So the, the, the website provides an interface for working with the model that they've come up with. So they provide us with data sets that we import into a SQL database, and the website queries the database and explore, yeah, basically, basically explore the data that they have available there. How can you employ machine learning to improve the taste of beer? I'm quite interested in that. I'm sure listeners would be too. To give a little bit of background, so uh, like two years or three years ago, we started to, to set up in the bioinformatics core uh, these kind of collaborations like, like James has now sketched one. The idea there is that uh, our service facility would help the, the bioinformaticians and others to come up with software solutions. So the idea in this project was that uh, the, the professor and the PhD student uh, in, at the KU Leuven uh, had a long-standing interest in beer because they are studying yeast. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, as you know, Belgium, very famous for beer, other countries as well. The, the idea was there that they could tweak the, the yeast, of course, to a certain extent so that it would eventually produce uh, yeah, better beer and also uh, study all the ingredients which come along in the, the process. And as you know, it's not the Reinheitsgebot in, in Belgium, maybe, but it's, it's more, more easy to brew beer with a lot of different ingredients because they have a lot of measurements and they can determine a lot of uh, ingredients like, uh, let's say, the chemicals within the beer. Uh, they can derive from those measurements uh, like a profile, so to say, 
on uh, what the beer taste could look like if, if it has this or that composition of these or various chemicals in the beer. Mm -hmm. So it's quite uh, an analytic process that you have to, to find out what kind of typical ingredients are in the beer, uh, so chemicals basically, and which would then stand for the various tastes, in fact. And then you have, of course, groups of people who are tasting beer like wine tasting, in fact, very comparable. Uh, and they are, so to say, the experts. And then you have the big crowd of people, like there's online uh, uh, websites as well, who, who score beers because of these kind of co correlations between the composition of, of the beers you can measure and the appreciation of the public based on this de derived um, models. You can also imagine, depending on how you, you, you shape your, not shape, but plot your chemical space versus to the taste space, you can also see that eventually some beers might have holes in, in these spaces. And then you could think that you could tweak your beer in order to have maybe this or that more in your beer by tweaking your, your uh, brewing process. They also published a book, in fact, about this, about uh, the a compendium of the Belgian beers. It gives you the whole range of beers in Belgium and all their tastes and, and stuff. And the idea was also of this software project to make this data more accessible to uh, lay brewers, maybe, because it's, of course, a lot of activities in that area. They analyze, obviously, the chemical ingredients, then try to match this with people who are testers and see mm -hmm. how satisfied they are. And from that, they derive, if you like, a test data set so that when you mix the ingredients to various portions and uh, proportions, you can kind of predict what the likely outcome of that beer will be. Would that be sort of kind of the, the summary of that? I think it's it's a good good summary. The the, the interesting thing is what we saw. Uh, I'm not sure what I should go in all details here, but it's it's funny at least that maybe it's the same for wines that eventually the the, the big public could have a little bit different appreciation of the beers vis-a-vis <laughs> uh, -vis to specialists. Mm. This is like a, a little bit surprising, maybe, but uh, well, I mean, it's like uh, the the big players in in the wine field as well, huh? so. Is there actually a difference between the expert opinions and the lay people opinion in terms of taste? Do you see any significant differences? It is indeed a really big difference. So it's kind of interesting <laughs> to, to, to see and state that eventually the expert tasters have, have other uh, notion of or scaling, in fact, of beer compared to the lay public. But I mean, that's not necessarily surprising, I think. Uh, it never ceases to amaze me in how many different fields research software engineers actually work. Are there any other projects of that nature where you work in an academic institution but work closely with uh, industry partners? The other application I, would, I could mention, which has some interest and potential future application that I um, area is uh, the, the Flemish uh, Gabflora project, the, the RAS lab also in Leuven studied a lot of uh, samples from from people uh, from their guts effect and also use it uh, modern technology like next generation sequencing to to find out correlation also between their 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 gut flora and and these kind of uh, an analysis of samples uh, what they have been doing and for, for this special project uh, my colleague uh, Lukas, in fact, uh, has developed a mobile app which would run on, on the mobiles of those participants to this Flemish Darm Gutflora project. Uh, and they could have their mobile phone along all the time. And of course, there you could also uh, think about some potential 
business case on the longer run. Now I think we are still early in the project. As you can imagine, I mean, by analyzing what you eat, you can also steer what you eat to a certain extent if you know what the effect is on your dump flora. So this could definitely, I think, also go on the longer run into these uh, business development options. Uh, I would like to move on to a slightly different subject because I found out quite recently that, in fact, there is now an RSE association in Belgium and that you were instrumental in working on that. Could you give us a history of how that happened in your country? The creation of the Research Software Engineer Association is was sort of an accident because we were trying to do this, set up this conference and looking for people to join us in that, um, that led us to discovering the, this idea of research software engineers and therefore maybe it will be a good idea to, to create one. So I discovered the uh, UK Association Slack group and I, I went there and said, we're, we're trying to set up this conference. If you're interested, go to our website. And I got some fantastic feedback and many people suggested, why don't you set up an association and yeah so it's sort of blossomed from there we've sort of tried to set it up in relation to the conference we've got a website we've got a um a guitar communications channel uh, it's, it's slowly building if you come from our field let's say the bioinformatics this term research software engineer as, as you said james is is not really the first thing you think of uh, but i also think that this makes it gives a little bit more importance to people doing that type of work eh? because I think that's also very crucial that we found out over the years we did community building, especially within the VIB context, meaning engaging with other bioinformaticians, doing one or twice each year a get-together where we shared experience, shared projects. And we also thought, because it was bioinformaticians, uh, we, we also saw there's a lot of people who are developing software within our institute, but of course also beyond. And since we are also engaged in the Elixir um, project, this is a bioinformatics infrastructure project, there's also a group of people who were interested in educating people and also educating young scientists uh, who start developing software applications that they also get a, a better start and also understand from the very beginning that writing good code means a lot of work and means you have to be very stringent very very neat to 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 also be able to later on pass that your knowledge your your code base on to others you mentioned community building earlier your work so far is in the bio and life sciences and bioinformatics and specifically but software development is needed in different fields in research do you have an idea how you would go about that we can begin with the conference that we're working on developing. That's what we're calling the Research Software Developers Day. And that's really aimed at all software developers, software engineers working to aid in research. So if you're, if you're a software developer who's building software for research, be it in the humanities, in the arts, in physics, in biotechnology, we're looking at you. And I think it's also worth to mention, James, the kind of speakers you have. I thought it was also a very broad range uh, of, of people coming from industry. Even We have someone from Fribourg University uh, talking about uh, infrastructure in Europe. We have someone from Data-Minded uh, Machine Learning uh, Consultancy and also someone from CERN. So yeah, we're, we're really looking for a range of speakers. 
So uh, when is this conference going to take place? When do you plan to have it? It's the 3rd of December. It'll be online due to the, the crisis we're in at the moment. So it's obviously a very young uh, organization here in Belgium. How do you think it went so far, the community building aspect? Perhaps I can start. Our core facility has been involved in trying to do, quote unquote, community building for quite a while. And as, as part of that, we had decided to try to set up a conference. For, for myself, I'd been unaware, completely unaware of the existence of the, the term research software engineer or the existence of associations until we started planning for this conference. And as part of trying to attract people within Belgium and, and outside of Belgium to come along, I discovered the UK Research Software Association. It seemed like this was the perfect opportunity to set up something in Belgium. Uh, are you actually looking for a Belgium RSE association or would that association also include neighboring states? Uh, yeah, so Simon Hetrick, we spoke with him very soon after we decided to set up the association. And he, he had the suggestion that we could create a uh, Benelux, uh, Belgium, Netherlands, Luxembourg association if the community in Belgium is, is not large enough. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I think we're coming to the end of the podcast now, and I'd like to finish with two questions. Uh, the first one would be, if you think far ahead into the future, sort of say 20, 30 years ahead, and you look back, what do you think would a successful career look like to you? From from my perspective, I think we have to stress or that the, the career path will be super or uh, interdisciplinary in the sense that uh, research software engineers, of course, cannot live alone. The strength of uh, research software engineers is working together with the the business and the the, the experts in in the various fields we have talked about. And I also think that some of them could be great educators and then also produce better science software because they have hopefully a better, uh, better foundation. So you'd like to see really the educational side of it to grow and to be able to have a sustainable future for research software engineers. James, what about you? I love software. I see the practical effect that it can have, the, the, the really amazing practical effect that it can have and is having on science. If I were to look back on my career and be able to say that I've had a positive impact on that, even as far as being able to say that I've made it better in some way, that would, that would be something I can look back on with pride. Excellent. Finally, the last question, with all the stuff that you're doing, it sounds almost like you have absolutely no free time left, but maybe you do. And I was wondering what you do in your spare time when you're not programming. <laughs> I have two toddlers, so indeed, my, uh, my spare time is... <laughs> With being kept inside over the last few months, I've uh, I've developed a bit of a, an interest in cooking. So that's that I can say is mostly mostly sweet things, cakes and uh, desserts. I was always um, very engaged uh, in in our neighborhood, working together with the, the, the local city to organize a yearly neighboring event. Where the the neighbors this year we had a little bit of issues, of course, we couldn't really do it but it was a very light version of course but the last years and hopefully in the years to come we can 
also reorganize it that people can come together, bring a little bit of their own food and celebrate the neighborhood and the day of the neighbors uh, together with, with the, the streets around here. So for these kind of activities, you also need like facilitators and this is the things I, I like to do. Well, that sounds very commendable and a quite interesting story from you guys. And community spirit and building community spirit is badly needed in these days. So uh, I think uh, your neighbors will be very pleased with that. And of course, James, I like cooking, so I can sympathize with that totally. And I like sweets. So I envy your kids. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you very much for your input. It was very interesting talking to you. And I wish you all the best for the future of your association. Thank you very much, Peter. It's a real pleasure, Peter. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and we would like to see you again in future. If you like this episode, it'll be great if you could leave a review wherever you download your podcasts from. And with that... Goodbye.